Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to discover all of our previous episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at irish underscore tech news and on Facebook at facebook.com slash irish tech news. Thanks and enjoy the listening. Today's Irish Tech News Podcast is presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard, and you can follow me on Twitter at TECDR. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Mark Curtis from Accenture about the latest four trends. Now, I spoke to Mark on a podcast two years ago, but it's going to be strange this time because living in a pandemic, I'm sure we're going to find some different kind of answers and uh, things that I found in the last report that we spoke about. So, can you give a brief overview of Accenture's George Friends for 2021, please, Mark? Yeah, certainly. So um, we've got seven trends to talk about this year, uh, and the meta theme um, spanning all of them is mapping new territory. We think that, um, you know, I mean, this has been the most unusual year ever that I've ever known to write trends, as you just kind of hinted at. Um, And I'm I'm not going to apologize for using the pandemic or COVID word a few times when we talk, because, you know, we just intellectually, there's no way you could look into the near future which is what we do with trends, um, without actually reference to the drama of what's happened over the last year, and of course is still continuing now, and will do for a while to come. It's a major disruption. The trends overall are both an acceleration of things that we saw coming already, um, but they're also, you know, and I'm happy to sort of mark out where those are, some of them are are significantly created by what's happened over the last year. Because of that, we think that 2021 and a little bit beyond, a lot of the effort that companies and people are going to go through is mapping out new territory for themselves, trying to understand what is the new reality, what what is the map, um, and how do we navigate it. And and in a way, we're in a, you know, and I like to be optimistic, we're in a good place because we can can draw those maps ourselves. Um, And, and... Uh, I think that the 21st century, we, we need to think that we're, re-begin- we're restarting it um, this year in 2021. So there are seven trends. Um, the first one is uh, collective displacement. And really, this is all about the way in which the customer you thought you knew has gone and been disappeared and replaced by somebody else who's doing, uh, who's changed in both time and space. So to be less academic about it, they're doing different things at different times in different places. And the collective displacement is undoubtedly a result of uh, the pandemic. It's not an acceleration of what was happening before. Um, except insofar as we've seen what one of my colleagues uh, called a reversal of the flow of human life. So throughout human history, typically we've gone to, to, we've, we've gone to get things. We've gone to go and do things. So as hunter-gatherers, we went out to you know, find food. Um, you know, more recently, um, you go, we're, we're used to going to restaurants or <clears throat> going to school or going to work um, or going to the doctor um, and and now, or going to the shops. And now all of those ones that I mentioned are coming to us. And that reversal of the flow over the last year has been really, really dramatic. And that that is part of this sort of collective displacement. Um, the second one, and do interrupt as I'm going. I'm happy if you want to ask yeah. questions. Go, yeah, but yeah. meanwhile, the second one, do yourself innovation, <clears throat> is about a shift in the way we go about innovation, driven by the way in which people 
impact their lives over the last year. And we think we're at a turning point where after a 30-year technology cycle where a lot of technology has sort of intruded in our lives like smartphones and smart speakers, and although we love them, we've, we've sometimes struggled to adapt our lives around them. We've adopted them quickly, but we haven't adapted so quickly. Now we think we're getting to the end of that era and the beginnings of a new one where we're beginning to wrap our lives, beginning to wrap the technology around our lives yeah. rather than the other way around. And that, that's a pretty big shift. And, and that's driven by the fact that people have had time to reconsider their own um, priorities, their purpose, and, and you see a huge rise in entrepreneurialism all the way across the world. And actually, technology is like the cloud, and I'm seeing this a lot now, are democratizing both data and, and apps and technology. And that democratization of technology is enabling people to do things, creative things, which they didn't know they could do before, where they combine and recombine technologies. Um, and we're seeing some of that happening in people, the way in which, for example, during lockdown, people have been using TikTok to create new businesses of themselves. Yeah. The way in which people are beginning to use games platforms and companies are using platforms <clears throat> to give their customers the ability to create their own solutions to life. And that's pretty significant because it's a move from <clears throat> thinking about co-creation as a design activity you do up front when you're looking at innovation to maybe an end goal, an output, rather than just an input, where you're actually seeking to put things into the market, where customers finish them off for you in the way they want to. And I, I think that's a big change in innovation. The yeah. third trend is called sweet teams are made of this, and really this is all about the shift in reciprocity between between employee and employer. So everybody knows that the future of work is now up for grabs, again, because of that reversal of the flow that I talked about earlier. And um, as we think about that, we have to begin to think about, well, what is the exchange of value that takes place between employer and employee? And that's changed a lot. You know, I don't get that, what you might call peripheral value of meeting other people and the energy I get from them very much these days when I go because I don't go into a place and and that's worse for a 23 year old graduate who's not building networks who's not seeing older people and how they behave yeah. um, and and yet I'm picking up a lot of the the lot of the costs of work which were invisible to me before like I'm paying to heat my home because it gets pretty cold in the winter sitting here all day yeah. I'm paying for lighting you know I'm paying for the bandwidth etc and these costs have silently passed to me so we're all aware of this shift in give and take and value. And what we're going to see over the next two to three years is a lot of prototyping about what work looks like because we see tension. Employees want to go back to work and they don't. And there's very clear evidence of that. Yeah. They're saying, I want to go back, but on the other hand, I think I'm going to work remotely for maybe 50% of my time, which is pretty significant. We're seeing companies saying, go back to work when you can because we know people are much more creative face-to-face. On the other hand, CFOs are looking at this and thinking, wow, got a real opportunity here to save significant costs. As those tensions play out over the next year in this prototyping, I think one of the most interesting things from a technology point of view is that the, the stuff we're using at the moment to do remote work is not very well, is not well constructed for remote work. Yeah. So, you know, that software-hardware mix isn't there yet. You know, the mics are poor, there's only one camera, 
you know, where maybe there should be three if we're really going to bring high resolution to each other in a meeting and check all the body language that's going on. Um, there's a lot missing. And, and I think of this as being a bit like the iPod moment. What Apple did with the iPod is they showed us a new way of consuming music completely. Yeah. Other people sort of played with it, but they really got it right. So that hardware software, and that was really about a hardware-software combination. I think we will see that over the next three years, and that prototyping is definitely taking place. So that's three teams are made of this. Then we have Interaction Wanderlust, which is really about how when we're focused so much of our time on screens, I mean, way more dramatically the last year than ever before, pretty much everywhere in the world, we're beginning to detect, even if only subconsciously, what I call the sea of sameness, which is a way in which all the, a lot of the interactions we have seem very familiar, seem the same. So for brands, differentiating in this technology-mediated world is becoming more important. Um, and, and, you know, why is that happening? It's happening because there's been a big commoditization of um, design and build uh, over the last 20 years. You know, 20 years ago, we weren't very good at websites. 10 years ago, we weren't very good at apps. Yeah. Now, actually, we're pretty good at both. You don't come across websites or apps that you think are badly designed or delivered very much anymore. So, it's, And we've also become very trend by iOS and by Google, by Android. So we're seeing people begin to break out of those tram lines using a very heavy mixture of games platforms and entertainment um, in order to create new realities, I'm trying to avoid the word virtual reality because this is not about headsets always, new realities where people are actually interacting in different ways. I think Peloton and its success is not only because people wanted to stay fit during lockdown, but they've also got something very interesting going on there in terms of a new mixture of interaction which is rich and involves both social and entertainment and fitness all in one place. Um, you know, when I hear people talk about Peloton, they often talk about the music. Yeah. Uh, and yet it's an exercise bike in, in effect so um, and it's it's telling that you know Joe Biden used Animal Crossing as a way to reach out to voters during the campaign that's new yeah. and, and what he's doing there is he's using this new space as a place for interaction so expect to see a lot of radical experimentation with creativity around interactions driven often by people's by, by companies desire to differentiate does that make sense? Yeah, because in the moment news recently, we, we're now on TikTok and Instagram, things that we didn't use before, but now we're seeing the, 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 the new, those new media platforms are a way of, of getting us um, more listeners and readers. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, and they, they also, they shift the aesthetics of what you do as well. You know, the general aesthetics of TikTok are very different from what we, you know, you experience through professionally made content or media. Yeah. And as a result, that shifts the way we, we think about what we're looking at and the way it's delivered to us as well. I mean, I, I scarcely see a commercial advertising break in the UK on television without spotting at least one ad, which has been clearly influenced by um, user-generated content. Yeah. So um, the fifth trend, liquid infrastructure, is really the flip side of um, collective displacement. If we're all in different times and spaces doing different things, then how companies get things to us has to change. And indeed, it did change last year. Um, there was, you know, a lot of companies became very focused on resilience very, very quickly and actually turned on a sixpence in order to make that happen. That said, the next level 
is to begin to think about how can you use your infrastructure to deliver experience and delight to people. So supply chain has usually been something we've been thinking about as an efficiency play, yeah. but actually, <clears throat> actually, um, it's now part of the experience chain big time. You know, when I go into a shop in normal times and buy something for my wife and it gets put in tissue paper and wrapped up and there's a silk bow on it and I walk out of the shop, I have an experience. That experience is not so good when it's a cardboard box thrown over a hedge um, and the dogs rip it apart before I can get to it. So liquid infrastructure is all about how we're rethinking um, all of our assets in order to deliver delight to customers. Um, the sixth one, empathy challenge, is, is really, um, at its heart, this is about the polarities created, particularly by social media, in the narratives that the world is telling itself at the moment. And it's driven also by the rise of new inequalities because of the pandemic, but also a big focus on old inequalities, Black Lives Matter being the outstanding example last year. And that focus on inequalities is, is now a boardroom issue because companies are being asked to be empathetic to everybody all the time. But the, the paradox here is you can't be empathetic to everybody all the time because of the polarization of those narratives. So to put that in tech terms, we have one CEO of a tech startup in the US last year who published an article on LinkedIn saying at length that he didn't want his organization discussing politics or social issues at work. That's not what, they're, what they existed to do. Um, and he lost 5% of his workforce the next day and caused a Twitter storm. Yeah. Then you have another one within a fortnight who wrote to his entire customer base in the US and said, please vote for Joe Biden. Now, if you think about it, both of them lacked empathy for their entire constituency in one way or another. Yeah. And, and it points to the fact that it is really, really difficult to do this. There's a racially charged, there's a toothpaste, a global toothpaste with a racially charged name, which decided to change its name last year. And in the West, that was widely applauded as the right thing to do. In China, it provoked furor and outrage because they didn't see the problem with it. Yeah. So empathy is now a boardroom issue and it isn't going away as a challenge. Um, the last trend, Rituals Lost and Found, is super easy because the name gives it all away. Um, we lost lots of Rituals over the last year and actually that's incredibly important because Rituals are deeply human. They're how we relate to the world around us, they're how we celebrate, they're how we frame our lives at key moments. Rituals can be really big like a wedding or really small like that daily flat white that you get from the same place every day on your way to work. Yeah. Both of those have become very difficult and everything in between like birthday parties or going to football, etc. So what we detect here is what we're going to see, and we saw last year some companies begin to try to establish new rituals or re-establish old ones. What we think we're going to see this year and beyond is a lot of companies, smart companies, looking at the opportunity space of rituals and going, you know what, we can really do something interesting here and we can bring hope to our customers, to our customer base, actually to our employees as well. Yeah. Rituals, we think, is going to be a big sort of inspiration pivot point for where we take experiences um, and, and how, how we help people re-establish a connection with each other and with the world that they want. Yeah. So, uh, Ronan, that, that's, um, I'll stop there. <laughs> that's yeah. enough. Remote working and automation become more part of our, of our future lives and work. 
Definitely. I think the, the conversation is normally framed around will we go back to work or will we not? And I do think that's the wrong question to ask. Yeah. Um, because the truth is we will go back to work and we will stay at home. So we will have a hybrid situation. What we've not figured out is how to manage that hybrid situation and particularly from a technology and people perspective. So what's the tech we need so that we can manage this? And again, that's both hardware and software. Yeah. What's the difference in our home environment? I was talking to a major furniture retailer just the other day. And of course, what we realized when we were talking about this is this isn't actually just a tech hardware software question. It's actually a question about the environment and how it's set up, your desk, your lighting, yeah. everything. So it has big implications well beyond tech. Um, but equally, you've got these difficult human issues. So, um, you know, if you if you decide that you're going to work from home Mondays, Fridays, and I'm working from home uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, that only leaves us Wednesday when we can meet face-to-face. Yeah. Now, you know, that might work just, but then think about how that scales across a team of 20 people. It doesn't scale very well. So there is going to be, again, I'll go back to this word prototyping about how this works. Yeah. I think we're going to miss as well the uh, worker moments. Like I remember when Steve Jack, when Apple did their, did uh, where I, when he was alive, Steve Jobs made sure that the post box for all employees was near the water cooler. Because when you go to that, you then chat to your colleagues. And that moment was very important for creativity and sharing ideas. That's, that's, um, <clears throat> I, 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 that's often, so I tend to, uh, think about peripheral vision when I think about that. Yeah. And and this is, you know, the focus on screens means we, we lose a lot of the value that peripheral vision brings us. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I'll give you, you know, so where I am sitting right now, um, everything in my peripheral view never changes. Um, you know, there's a window over to my left, yeah. there's some stairs over here, there's a painting over there. Um, when I'm going to work or going to a shop, it does change, and subconsciously I'm using it all the time. So that patch of yellow I see over there, that's cornflakes, and I remember that somebody asked me to buy cornflakes. Or equally, that person by the water cooler over there, this is going back to your Apple example, yeah. that person by the water cooler, oh look, there's Janine, and, uh, and I know that I need to talk to her about X, Y, Z, and, or, or maybe actually more importantly, I didn't know I needed to talk to her, but the visual identification sparks a synapse in my head that says she would actually be useful to talk to about that issue I'm wrestling with around cloud. I'm going to have that conversation right now. So Teams and Zoom have not replicated that yet. And again, this is where the technology at the moment is deficient and we need to find new ways to do this. Yeah. And also, how great was was the uh, impact caused by the pandemic? Well, I think a lot of the trends that we're talking about here, well, let me give you a number. E-commerce in Britain is now about between 30 and 40% of retail. It was only 15% exactly a year ago. And I think most people believe that it's not going to go backwards. Um, Of course, that doesn't mean that we won't want to go back to shops for all the reasons that I've talked about, human, emotional, um, color, texture, we will. And I, I, I'm not a believer that shops won't exist in the future and everything will be online. But I think shops will focus much more on experiences. So 
if you want to take just one area of the economy, um, that is retail, the pandemic has had a significant shift. If you take another one, doctors, we've all discovered that we can talk to doctors remotely. Yeah. And, um, and that too, I don't think we're going to go backwards on that because although there's a certain amount of comfort in actually going to a surgery and sometimes you might need to, um, if you don't need to, it's quicker and more efficient for absolutely everybody. Yeah. Um, so I think it's been, I think it's been huge, the, the, the effect of it. And I don't think our trends this year would have anything like the same shape if it hadn't been for um, the disruption and the accelerant, the accelerance of, of COVID. Future trends will be, we see yeah. in the years to come will be affected by the pandemic as well. Yes, definitely. Um, the, so two, two things to, to reflect on there. Well, one thing actually, which is we've not actually yet even remotely fully understood the psychological impact of the pandemic on most people, or probably all people. We know that mental health is a rising issue in many, many countries. Yeah. Um, I, I feel sure that's the same in Ireland as it is in the UK. Um, and and that, that, you know, mental health issues leave scar tissue. Yeah. And we haven't yet, I think, remotely begun to understand what that is. So, yes, I do believe we will see references to the pandemic in future trends and the legacy that it leaves behind. You're right. Um, if I had to single out one thing, I think, um, which is beginning to preoccupy uh, my thinking, is we've talked now for a long time about clusters defined by generation. We call them baby boomers, Generation X, you know, millennials. I think each of those generations will have been affected differently by the pandemic, but I wonder a little bit whether those generational slicings may have become irrelevant mm -hmm. um, because the pandemic's effects has been so strong. Um, you know, I, I, by the time the vaccine is really, you know, established, if the vaccines obviously work in the way we want them to, and, and I think at the moment it's looking pretty good, it's going to be at least two years. Yeah. Um, now, okay, two years is not as long as the Second World War, and nothing has happened quite as profound as the terrible death and destruction that happened in the Second World War. But, you know, I grew up in a world where older people talked incessantly about the Second World War, and, and it clearly influenced their thinking and their behavior around everything. Yeah. Um, indeed, my wife's parents, you know, are still alive, you know, you can tell it had a dramatic impact on them. I think we'll, we'll see a similar thing with the pandemic. You know, I don't think my children, I think my children will refer to it often as they grow older. Because back in World War Two, you had rationing and, and, and people had blitz spirits. Nowadays, you're probably getting a Zoom spirit and you're, you're probably at times could be rationing your Wi-Fi at home. If you haven't got great Wi-Fi, it's been rationed as well. I absolutely love that analogy. That's right. The, the, the shift from Blitz Spirit to Zoom Spirit is, yeah. is brilliant. That's really smart, actually. Yeah, because I'm thinking about that. And also, I'm thinking at a time, I'm lucky I live alone on about 500 um, meg broadband. But if you've got a people living in the same house, that speed's going to go right down. And what you used to do, you won't be able to do anymore. Well, I mean, I've, we've, got, we've got reasonably good bandwidth here, but with my kids 
you know, we, we haven't been interrupted so far on this call, partly because my children are on half-term at the moment and yeah. they're not doing school, but it would have been significantly dicier had they been. Yeah, and also I'm guessing right now, because if, if, when you get kids at home, they're going to be streaming more, more streaming services like Netflix, etc., yeah. and yes. more online gaming, and that bandwidth has been used up. And if yeah. you need that bandwidth for yourself to do meetings that we're doing now, like on meetings or Zoom or anything else, you're going to find you're going to have a server that's kind of crackly and you're going to be not looking great cutting and out. Yes, true. No, it's true. I mean, it, and it, I mean, we're working with, um, I'm just shifting the, the example a bit, but um, working with uh, cosmetics companies, beauty companies, and they're, they're having to really rethink um, you know, some of what their customers are thinking because a lot of their customers are now thinking about skincare and cosmetics through the lens of Zoom yeah. rather than face-to-face real-life interactions and through the lens of people who may be wearing a mask when they go out. And consequently, for example, I have this pretty well known, um, <clears throat> there's been a huge rise in skincare uh, sales over the last year. Yeah. And actually, a drop in in many cases in cosmetic sales, um, and and that's directly a consequence of people spending more time doing video calls. Yeah, I can see in the future more virtual reality being used, like Oculus Rift, etc., Hololens, to actually sell products and meet people. Yes, I think. Um, so I'm still again. This is a personal view. I'm slightly unpersuaded by. <clears throat> By headsets, um, slightly unpersuaded by headsets, um, and I think the jury is out on whether those will be successful or not. On the other hand, what is happening is a new mixture of um, of, of what you might call virtually real environments. I, I'm particularly taken at the moment. This is again personal, but I'm using. I don't have Peloton, but I have an indoor bike trainer. Yeah. Um, and I had that hooked up to Zwift, which is probably the most popular cycling indoor cycling app there is. What Zwift does, which is fascinating when you deconstruct it, is it puts you as a cyclist in a virtual world. So there is a virtual rendition of you in that world, yeah. and you're, you, that's you riding. And you're competing with other riders if you want to compete with them. You don't have to. Yes. Um, there are no cars. Uh, you can, um, you can uh, applaud other riders and wave at them, you can talk to them. So what is it exactly? Is it a fitness app? Is it social media? Is it a virtual world? Okay, actually the user doesn't care. Yeah. They just absorb the whole thing for what it is. And it could be an e-commerce environment. As yet, they're not selling things through the environment, but they absolutely should be. Yeah. Um, and no doubt they will at some stage shortly. Um, so for me, that, that, that I think is... That may end up in a headset. It may be that a better way of delivering it would be a headset. But, but but people aren't waiting for the headsets. They're just putting forward this rich combination of platform, entertainment, social, uh, and layers of um, tiers of engagement. They're putting all of those in place, and it's becoming very, very compelling. I'm thinking now of Nintendo. <coughs> I've got an old Wii Fit, which wouldn't work my new t- with my TV I have now. So I bought that, that should use it. And I'm using it a lot more now for exercising. And with the new Nintendo Switch, they've got new uh, technology you can do exercising as well. And because that, that is, is so cheap to buy and use, you don't have to pay a much as cheaply once you bought it. 
that'll be used more and more. So we're going through an internal moment where we're using that for exercise because it gives you a, a, a virtual, you're putting place in a, in a virtual reality scenario where this is where you're going to be working or jogging. And it doesn't look as realistic as what you've been using, but people don't really care because it, they're somewhere else. It's not the normal place. So I think that's really interesting, and um, you actually used the word right at the end there, which which sprung to my mind. But this is about the creation of different places. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you're familiar with Discord or not. I am. Um, yeah. But it took me a while to get my head around Discord until a colleague, you know, pointed it out to me and said, "Look, don't think of it as a social media, which is what I was trying to think of. Yeah. It's a place." Yeah. It's just a virtual place that people go to. And, and Discord is, the usage of Discord has gone through the roof over the last year. Because it turns out that people are interested by this idea of a virtual place where they just hang out. And um, that also speaks to another shift, which is the shift to live. So we're hearing a lot of organizations now beginning to look at live commerce. Yeah. Some of this is coming out of China. But if you look at Clubhouse, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with, yeah. um, which um, is coming out of the US, you know, one of the key features of Clubhouse is it's live. It's, you either join and, and join in or it's gone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really, really fascinating, the shift from uh, asynchronous to synchronous. Uh, and there's quite a lot of that going on as well. I mean, all of the social media apps have introduced more live into their um, engineering and interface over the last two or three years. And also, I find that more people are consuming more content, like podcasts. They've grown a lot over the past year because nothing else we consume, and they're probably getting bored of watching TV or anything else. And with a podcast, they're, they're getting to learn new things in, in in a different way. Yes, yes, I think that's true too. And I think in the long term, we're going to see a lot more of that, and maybe in the future, we might see a version of of of, of podcasts mingled in with Clubhouse. Where you actually get a live video, and if you if you don't, if you're not taking part live, you can replay it back later. Yes. Yes, I think that I think that that will happen. But I think it's interesting that we're shift. We're, we're you know, digital has been so much about mm, things can be created and stored and replicated. Yeah. Um, and and we've used that a lot for a lot of asynchronous stuff because of the whole model of file storage. Uh, or the whole metaphor of file storage. But it's interesting that now what we're seeing is the rise of live. And I think you're right, in the end, you'll get a hybrid, which is both. You can go back and get it, but also the live has, you know, life has energy and drama around it. Maybe that's, you know, that's why, I mean, that's why sport, why, why the price, why the, um, until the pandemic, that's why the pricing of live sports events uh, for TV companies went through the roof because sport continues to carry that human in the moment drama. Yeah. It's not the same to watch an England rugby game two hours after it's happened as it is to watch it live. Yeah. It just simply isn't. And also, I'm looking at like right now, you're, you're used to get in the past where radio stations would a replay show as a podcast, but now you're seeing, uh, now you're seeing more like. like that, that, that now is not novelty anymore, but it's more like somebody creating content specifically for, for people in lockdown, knowing that, that, that they uh, won't get it, that it's not going to be live as such, but it's going to be something that made for them just to live through the moment of, of the pandemic. Yeah. Yes. 
And before we go, is there anything else you think that could be a major trend that you can see slowly keep the horizon? Yeah, I think, um, and I, I, I think I did mention this briefly, um, discussing the trends earlier, but um, I'm, I increasingly believe that the democratization of technology through the cloud yeah. is incredibly important. When you look at the number of the percentage of companies that have fully moved to the cloud, it's surprisingly low. It's somewhere in the around the fifteen to twenty percent. So there is an enormously long. There is a lot lot of distance to travel here. When you look at the market for apps that effectively AWS and others are creating out there, um, it's a we're entering a whole new world. And I, and I think what we're going to see over the next ten years is a remarkable rise in productivity. I'm, I'm not the only person to be saying that, um, but I think we're on the cusp of a productivity revolution. Um, we might well look back and say, look, the first thirty years of, of, of digital we're about laying the foundations yeah. and that's kind of done and now it's going to be about actually what can we create with those foundations um, a, a, um, a media analyst called Benedict Evans uh, who's, who does some just writes brilliant stuff he's fond of saying that the first 50 years of the car industry were about building Ford and General Motors um, the second 50 years of the car industry were about Walmart and McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, in other words, they were about the organizations that the car industry allowed, they, they created the affordances for those organizations to happen. And he follows that up by saying that more billionaires were created outside the car industry by cars than inside the car industry by cars. Yeah. And I, I think that's really fascinating. And maybe we're on the cusp of that now. Well, that's interesting uh, thoughts here. And thanks so much for that great enlightening talk, Mark. Have, have a great day and good luck in the future. And take care. Thank you very much. Lovely to speak to you again. Likewise. Take care, buddy. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. You can sign up for more via our email digest, which does a weekly summary of all our podcasts. Or you can follow us on your preferred podcasting platform of choice or follow us on Twitter, Irish underscore tech news or Facebook or LinkedIn, or the, or the website irishtechnews.ie. Uh, we will bring you more soon, and thanks for listening.